We're back with the fourth episode of the EPI podcast and pretty fired up today. A little bit more, yeah. <laughs> we got a we got an interesting topic to talk about, and uh, excuse me if you hear my mouse a little bit clicking, but we're going. I'm going to go through some stuff. We uh, we came across a, an interesting uh, interesting thing to talk about. One of the one of the biggest things that people ask me or talk to me about when they when it comes up, you know, hey, what do you what do you what's your day job? What do you do for a living? Um, and you tell them you're a private investigator, a lot of times number one question is, oh, like uh, going out and uh, catching cheaters and stuff like that. It's like, well, fortunately no, because when I came on to EPI, uh, Nate uh, told me, yeah, we don't, we don't do that stuff uh, because, uh, <laughs> you know, people get, people get crazy and we just don't want to deal with that, that aspect of it. You know, and there's, there's a value to it. And I'd like to say, you know, there's a number of private investigators out there that do it, and they do it very well. Yeah. We just chose that that was an area that we we decided that we weren't going to get into. And, and for very good reason, there are other areas that I thought that we could focus on and excel in that other private investigators may not focus on. And that's really the topic of our conversation to to a degree today. Right. So we mainly or a, a good chunk of uh, what we do is is workers compensation investigations and being in South Dakota, we had kind of an interesting thing come up uh, within the past couple of weeks. There is a a bill that came up and I'm going to pull up the article here, but um, it is a Senate bill that that went up for vote and there was some there was some lively debate in the uh, in the state legislature about it it's uh, Senate bill 145 that came through and basically the 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 gist of the bill makes it so that or would would have made it so that uh, injured persons in, in workers compensation claims uh, would not be able to sue the insurance companies in for for bad faith claims and there was some some lively debate on it it ended up it, it did not pass so everything uh, is the same claimants will still be able to sue the insurance company and you know th there's different and uh, varying opinions on the on the topic but it brings up the issue of, of workers comp fraud in general and kind of the reason why we have the bulk of our business in that uh, you have when when somebody gets injured at work they they file a claim uh, it gets reported and you know the idea is companies have to pay in workers compensation insurance that way, when somebody gets injured at work, then they get their medical bills paid for. They get their uh, part of their wages paid for if they're not able to work. And it's it's kind of been like this big pendulum. You go from the in, the industrial industrialization era where you had horrible working conditions and there was nothing like this, and you had moguls running the United States, and you know you, people there there wasn't much in the way of that if you got injured at work you're kind of kind of just out of luck well and, and a good example and i understand why they have these laws in place and every state's a little bit different 
but uh, an example would be my great-grandfather who died on site. They didn't really provide any sort of support for him, or at least there didn't seem to be for On site, where? At, uh, what did he he was, uh, he was an electrical engineer, and something exploded and uh, eventually caused his death. It was a long, lingering death. But there weren't, uh, there weren't, OSHA, there wasn't OSHA, there wasn't workers' comp, there wasn't uh, any sort of liability insurance. So when something like that happened, you were pretty much out, out, out of luck. You, you didn't have the opportunity to have any recourse for, you know, protecting your family in the event of a death or if you lost an arm, you lost an arm. What, what year was that? Oh, that was back in the nineteen. 20s I believe so I mean a okay. long time ago and right and even past that time you know if somebody was to hurt their back or were to hurt their back I don't believe that uh, you know the company usually paid for that they just say well sorry it happened man yeah and that's you know that that sucks when you know you have a family to support and whatever else and so for good reason laws started getting passed like hey as a as an employer you have to have take some responsibility for the the well-being of your employees and and take some responsibility as a group and now we're to the point and and there's a lot of debate on the issue hence hence why there was on this senate bill in in our home state of south dakota where you know it's almost like a battle between between opposing powers is what it's kind of turned into be but the the Overall, a couple things that I want to talk about. Yeah, Nate has a lot more experience in in this field. It's something that he's you could probably argue that he's an expert on the topic. I'm I've been introduced to it, and I have kind of some limited experiences. But just wanted to talk about uh, talk about a couple of things uh, regarding workers' comp. And this came up, you know, around the time when I came onto. EPI, uh, I read a book called uh, Tribe by Sebastian Younger. Sebastian Younger is a he's a, a war journalist. He did a he wrote a book called uh, I forget I forget what his book was called, but then that turned into a documentary called Restrepo, where he was embedded with uh, with an army unit that was in Afghanistan. Uh, so his his background is kind of as a as a war correspondent, but he wrote a book called Tribe, where he, the kind of the premise of it is that people are designed from a evolutionary standpoint, I guess, to live in groups of you know fifty, one hundred and fifty people. Now we live in these big uh, big cities and big groups of people where we don't have a lot of close personal relationships and and kind of the way that we have been normally throughout human history has has kind of changed a little bit how we interact with people and one of those things the book isn't about workers comp fraud but one of the things that he talks about is you know if you were to defraud a system as a human a couple thousand years ago your your group of people that you're with wouldn't wouldn't accept it and they they might even they might even kill you or they'd excommunicate you from well, part from of it is group. you would be taking from the rest of the tribe so if you're defrauding right. uh, you're not just defrauding a, a faceless company and right. some executives in Minneapolis or Chicago you're you're defrauding those 50 people right that you're very close to so. and and please don't think uh, I'm not where I'm not going with this at all please don't think if you're listening to this that <laughs> 
I think people who do fraud should be killed or something like that. I'm just merely pointing out that you go from that where we have very close personal relationships and I'll, I'll put it like this a couple after our last podcast one of the things that I came across was a lady uh, that was going through a workers comp claim and during that time she was you know supposed to be severely disabled and she went on the prices right and you know you can <laughs> yeah. if you go back on our Facebook page we don't post that much so you can go back a couple of posts on our Facebook page and you know see the it's like a I don't know, investigative journalist report where it shows her spinning the big old wheel and, and whatever else. And she's like, uh, she looks like everybody's, you know, everybody's aunt. She looks like a nice older lady. Um, she would never commit armed robbery. She would probably, I don't know her personally, but she would probably never do something like that. She wouldn't hold up a grocery store. But the difference is, you know, those are, that's a very personal thing where you kind of have a, a bit of, diffracted responsibility in something like uh, a fraud case or whatever else. So it, it, it becomes less, uh, you know, less morally reprehensible maybe, or you can maybe justify it to yourself more when it's, you know, you're not stealing from directly from someone, it's from a corporation or whatever. And I have seen that justification. And that's the interesting thing is that um, uh, I've seen people that would otherwise I would consider to be pretty decent that feel like this is an opportunity for a gravy train to uh, not have to work for a period of time. Maybe they needed a break. Maybe they didn't have, uh, they worked a job that was relatively menial. So this was an opportunity to take a vacation. Uh, and one of the things that happens when you're on workers' comp, by the way, is after a certain determined amount of days, depending on the state, that individual will then get 66% of their income. And if you don't have to drive to work, and if you don't have to do a number of things that are work-related that cost money, so like you and I, we have a bit of a uh, barbecue addiction. So at least once a week, we have to go get barbecue. Now that's 20-some 20, 20 dollars. Now if we're sitting at home, we can buy that barbecue for a lot less and just microwave it and then watch Netflix all day long. Right. <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's a motivation even for people that I would consider to be relatively decent people sometimes, where they live a fairly moral life. They, they maybe go to church. They have kids that they love. They have, um, they have a lot of people in their lives that are pretty respectable people. These aren't the lowest of the low. They're not these slimy criminals living in the underbelly of, uh, of um, you know, our version of Gotham, which is, is Sioux Falls, they're just taking advantage of what they see as an opportunity because it's there, they're clever enough to figure it out, and hey, I can live on 66% of my income if I just pretend or just exaggerate the fact that, you know, I'm still not feeling up to par. I don't think I can go to work. And you can tell the doctor, you know, my back is still killing me. I can't, I can't hardly move, or my arm, I can't move it above my waist. Um, and so the doctor immediately writes a thing and says to the, you know, send this to your workplace. You can't come back to work for two weeks until you go back in for another appointment. So when you talk about the tribe thing, I think it's very interesting is that, uh, you know, it's not always these really nefarious sort of criminal-like people that are taking advantage of the system. Right. It's sometimes very small, but it adds up. Uh, somebody who's off work for 
you know, five, six, seven months, that can cost uh, the employer through higher premiums and the insurance company by paying out 66% of their income, it can end up adding up significantly. Yeah. And and to, to make that point, I, I just want to read a small excerpt from the book. Uh, let's see where I want to start here. Uh, so in the book, uh, Tribe, subsistence level hunters aren't necessarily more moral than other people. They just can't get away with selfish behavior because they live in small groups where almost everything is open to scrutiny. Modern society, on the other hand, is a sprawling and anonymous mess where people can get away with incredible levels of dishonesty without getting caught. What tribal people would consider a profound betrayal of the group, modern society simply dismisses as fraud. And this is the, the thing, the next part I'm going to read, it's uh, short here, but statistics, if you look up workers' comp statistics, you, for the most part, you're going to find a couple of different websites. You're going you're to find stuff that, it's a lot of .org websites, and some of it is funded by insurance companies, and some of it is funded by people who would oppose them, uh, labor groups, attorneys, things like that. So you, you kind of have to take those statistics uh, for, for what they're worth and understand that you know some of those stats out there are, have, have some, uh, some, some conflicting goals. Uh, but this, this is a, you know, this isn't a, a book about insurance fraud. It's mostly actually about uh, post-traumatic stress and, and things like that. But in this first part, he talks about that. So he, he goes on, around 3% of people on unemployment assistance intentionally cheat the system, for example, which costs the United States more than $2 billion a year. Such abuse would immediately would be immediately punished in tribal society. Fraud in welfare and other entitlement programs is estimated to be at roughly the same rate, which adds another $1.5 in annual losses. That figure, however, is eclipsed by Medicare and Medicaid fraud, which is conservatively estimated around 10% of total payments or around $100 billion, uh, $100 billion in a year. Some estimates run to two or three times that figure. So that's that's where it's you know it's really hard to tell because some people that we encounter some people are absolutely they are not injured in any way and they're claiming that they are some people there there's there's varying degrees some people are definitely injured they definitely sustain an injury how injured are they are they able to absolutely not heal at all and it's very tough tough to determine uh, sometimes. Well, and it's why they bring us in too, is is to find that out. Because if if a claim goes on long enough, and there seems to be enough complaints about it, then eventually we get a call from an insurance company saying, you know, we'd like you to uh, spend three days or six days just just surveilling this individual. They're claiming they have severe lower back. They can't use their left leg, their left or their right arm, for instance. Uh, they can't lift more than five pounds and then you see them doing uh, and we can't really talk about and we're not going to give a lot of examples and the reason being is that we're very careful about the the claim I'd love to tell some of the claims in fact I think it would be a blast because your first one was epic yeah um, it was one of the best ones we've ever seen where it was an individual that was claiming all sorts of maladies and then to watch what happened as a result you came back 
feeling like a rock star. Yeah, and there was a very good reason. You, you caught this individual dead to rights on this. And uh, yeah, so I mean, th those sort of things, you know, that we have to deal with as a result is watching these individuals. And many times, most times, I would say, when we're able to effectively get footage of the individual, and what we're doing then is we're simply getting evidence, video evidence, to prove or disprove the individual's claim. And an insurance company doesn't do this for everybody because going through a private investigator is an expensive uh, cost. And so for them to come to the point where they're uh, concerned enough or suspicious enough to believe that this is there's much more to this story, they're willing to spend a fair amount of money on us doing this to document this individual and how they behave while they're off work and enjoying, you know, a life of, you know, relative luxury in the trailer house or wherever. And funnily enough, it's not always a trailer house. Sometimes it's a house that's worth three, four hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. So it's probably socio just as often. Yeah. Socioeconomically, you know, another point that I think is is valuable is it's it's not who you always think would be taking advantage of the system right and just to, i don't want to read this whole book to everybody and have it be story night but <laughs> to, to to if you're thinking if you're still listening if your eyes haven't rolled into the back of your head because you don't care about workers comp uh, insurance or whatever else why should you care if you're listening to this and if you're not a private investigator or whatever you know if you're thinking you know, if you're like me and you're thinking, you know, I'm 30 years old, I'm uh, exquisitely handsome, balding, but in an distinguished way. So why should I care about this? Well, uh, <laughs> uh, all told, combined public and private sector fraud costs every household in the United States probably around $5,000 a year, $5,000 a year, or roughly the equivalent of working four months at a minimum wage job. A hunter-gatherer community that lost four months' worth of food would face a serious threat to its survival, and its retribution against the people who caused that hardship would be immediate and probably very violent. So that's, that's all I'll read from that. And, you know, I highly recommend the book, but for, for not necessarily that reason. That's something that I read around the time that I, that I came on at EPI, and it, it struck me as, as pretty, pretty significant. And... Kind of just to, to go with the point, you know, hey, it costs the United States X billion dollars per year. And it's like, well, who cares? It trickles down and it, it does increase the costs of, of companies and it does affect people. But it's it's there's um, there's a reason why in general white collar crimes, you know, people people who do insider trading and, you know, people who are involved in the Enrons and, uh, and whatever other fraudulent, uh, situations that have happened in the world, those, they're looked on a lot more leniently than somebody who does something, a violent crime, for example. Well, and an example, I've I've investigated, and by investigated uh, claims, I mean that uh, the clients that have me look into each work comp claim to look at it for its uh, severity, for its legitimacy, uh, I've done somewhere around 600 claims over the course of the years. And that most of those claims, 
were legitimate claims, slips and falls, somebody who hurt themselves on a piece of equipment. So I see a lot of that, but one of the uh, issues with that is the fact that those claims that we've had that have been arguably and evidently uh, fraudulent, only one out of the many that I've had that have shown fraudulent uh, behavior has actually been prosecuted. Yeah, that's 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 one out of many. That's the that's a big. Uh, I don't know if people outside of this industry or maybe maybe people don't necessarily understand that, but it, it's even though we're talking about criminal stuff here and whatever else, yeah, I, I think that's a misconception is that people don't, there's no trials happening for these people or whatever else. All that's happening is uh, companies and, and insurers are trying to not pay out money that shouldn't be paid out. Um, and yeah, people, you're, you're right, people aren't aren't getting prosecuted and it's it's just kind of they're just trying to I don't know they're trying to trying to save money that that doesn't have to be paid out that's that's it that's where that the effort is going to and that's where and it's kind of that's what makes it maybe like people people can file a lawsuit hey should should people be able to to sue an insurance company if they should have gotten paid out you know maybe that should still they maybe I, I don't know I don't know that much about uh, the bill itself or what what necessarily should be done maybe people still should have the opportunity to sue but then on the other hand there's also the it, it's it's not an unusual phenomena that somebody will file a lawsuit knowing that it's cheaper for big nameless faceless insurance company to cut a settlement to make it go away versus uh, you know they're they're not gonna fight against them well I have many examples of that as well and I've, I've been involved in a number of lawsuits as a result of situations like this where they want money even though uh, one example that uh, that comes to mind is the individual had harmed themselves at work at work and then uh, they had the claim denied as a result of the fact that in the state of South Dakota, if you do not uh, um, follow specific uh, protocols and procedures for safety, if they're in place, you've been trained in them, then it can be denied. So the claim was denied, and then several months later, this individual did the same thing again. The claim was denied a second time. As a result, they sued. And so what's going to happen, very likely, I have no idea what the outcome of that particular claim was, but I can tell you one that I can give you the outcome on, and that is that there was a lady that had started working for a company, hadn't even done one actual day of work, not one day, was in an airport claiming to be going from point A to point B to start the job, claims she trips and falls and hurts herself severely in the airport, there's no evidence of it. Incidentally, there were no cameras in the area. There was no people in this particular concourse for some reason, which is strange because this was one of the largest airports in the United States, and yet she trips and falls and injures herself so severely 
that she ends up suing the company that she never spent day one working for. Not only that, but the insurance company realized that this could go on forever, even though there was no evidence. Um, there were no cameras, no guards, no TSA agents, no other people to talk to uh, that had seen the incident, and she received a payout of over $50,000 for simply saying she fell in an airport on her way to work. Madness. It people ah man i had i had a quick thought that i'll i'll have to i'll have to come back to it i could i completely lost my train of thought <laughs> glad i'm not the only one to do it he's 30 years old by the way and he is you know devish devish devishly handsome and balding and i'm 48 years old and also quite handsome and and already <laughs> the hair's gone but evidently the memory thing i kind of never want to add video to this so people just think that we're you know we're like, like two james like Bonds. young bruce willis and uh jason statham <laughs> well which one's J you know because i'm jason statham's age so i want to be jason statham i'm just i just would like to be young bruce willis and die hard personally okay but, uh, you can be bruce willis I'm not I'll that be jason bald statham. Yet either though so i don't know i'll have to think about that one well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, whatever you say, man. People, um, when people, when oh, that's what I was thinking of. When so, if it's only because a lot of the statistics that you find in in the article that came up about Senate Bill One Forty Five was in our our local newspaper, the Argus Leader, and it you know, I don't think that maybe necessarily they were trying to be one-sided or or may, maybe they were maybe not i don't i don't know the the journalist but it it was pretty anti-insurance company and and it's easy to pick sides on the topic and see one side as a bunch of you know lazy no uh, ne'er-do-wellers and you know the other side you know you can look at the insurance companies and it's faceless so you could put a face on them they could be like the you know the bad guys and the power rangers wearing a weird uh costume and <laughs> another thing you need to know as a 30 year old he has he has two girls that are younger my my kids i don't think ever got into power rangers they're a little bit older they're adults already but yeah, so there's references here that you know, you've got to kind of understand our age yeah. age gap here. Yeah, I'm, I don't have uh, personally Power Rangers. I have no idea what you're talking about right now. In fact, did you ever have you? So you've never seen it. I've never seen Power oh, Rangers. We'll have to do that. We'll have to look it up. But the how how does three percent of you know why is a company so concerned about three percent of the claims being fraudulent? Well, the people who do have legitimate claims and and want to get their stuff taken care of and and want to get back to work oftentimes are not trying to drag everything out and get as much money out of it as possible and people who are trying to make this like hey this could be my chance to not work anymore they are trying to drag things out they're trying to make it as prolonged as possible so that they can you know three percent is maybe the amount of claims, but the cost of that three percent could be could be much higher than than the rest of 
more than than a significant number of other other cases. It's it's not nothing. And, and I've I've seen the end result of how much they've paid out in large loss claims, and some of them are just they'll you know for something as simple as say a laceration on your finger, not even one that requires stitches, and getting a payout of fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. So, you know, or it doesn't take much. It can get to the extreme of, you know, if you would have asked me before, well, I, I don't know, I, I don't have feelings about it, but if you asked an average person or if somebody were to argue this and say, well, would somebody really go through surgery if they didn't have to just to, just to make money off of it or why, you know, yeah, they absolutely would. <laughs> and they do. And they, we've seen it happen. They, they absolutely would. Welcome to 2018. People are insane and they would absolutely go through major surgery even there's if they also, didn't need it. There's also kind of an end result that comes from that is the fact that you get some pretty sweet, sweet medications out of the deal. That's another so, thing. That's, yeah, so, that's a whole separate issue. Yeah, so say you get that knee replacement. All right, you got a knee replacement. Now you've got six months worth of uh, Oxycontin or Tramadol or whatever they, they give. I don't even know all the names of the opiate um, right, you know, drugs. Right, several, there's several out there, and that's, yeah. you know, that's a huge epidemic that, um, yeah. But there, there's certain, certainly layers to the issue, and... and uh, the fact that the fact that it came up recently, I guess I don't have a, a whole lot. What are what are your feelings on the on the bill itself? Or well, my feelings on the bill itself is I like it. Um, personally, I am I would be for this, and my reason for this is that I've worked with about somewhere around a dozen insurance companies, many of them major national insurance companies, and what I have seen from the, the, mass, the vast majority of these companies is they are trying to take care of that injured employee so that they can come back to work. That is their objective. Get them the treatment they need. If they need physical therapy to deal with that slip and fall on the ice, get them the physical therapy. If, uh, if they need surgery, get them the surgery because ultimately the quicker they can get back to work, the more likely they are to go back to work. The longer they stay off of work, and there's statistics on this too, and I don't have them up in front of me right now, but there are statistics that are the longer a person stays off of work, the, the more potential they'll become, say, disabled. They'll go on the disability list and they'll stay off of work and they'll start to collect disability instead of workers' comp. So there, there's an important part there, but what I have seen personally in the hundreds of claims that I've worked with, with claims adjusters from a variety of companies, and we can't even mention the name of the companies because of the fact that we're under uh, non-disclosure agreements with each one of these. But one of the things that I have seen when talking to them directly is they're concerned about making sure that, say, um, I don't know, we'll call a lady Phyllis, and I don't have a Phyllis as an open claim or even a closed claim. I don't think I've ever had a Phyllis in my entire life. So I'll use Phyllis as my example. And Phyllis slips and falls on the ice. It's that time of the year I think about it because I almost slipped on, fell on the ice earlier uh, yesterday when I uh, took the garbage out. But um, the, the thing is, is that these insurance companies, they respond quickly. They, they find the place where they can go for treatment. In some states you can direct treatment other states you can't. South Dakota, for instance, you can't. A person can go wherever they want. 
that can be problematic and I can see why this bill came about as a result because if a person can direct their own care and decide to go to their own doctor they have a relationship with that doctor they may be able to manipulate that doctor and I think there's a lot of savvy doctors out there that are very smart and don't allow this to happen but there's also some that do and these people find those doctors and they can keep this thing lingering for as long as possible but ultimately the insurance company wants to make sure that uh, and this is my experience out of hundreds of times my experience is the insurance company is trying very hard to get that person well get them back to where they were if they're not back to where they were help them by providing them a, an additional sum of money for that um, permanent um, what, I can't remember what they call it exactly it's it's a uh, disability where say for instance somebody seriously injures an arm like uh, basically uh, has uh, has their arm torn out of the socket on a piece of equipment they're able to get most of the mobility back maybe 70 percent of it they're able to function they're able to go back to their job the insurance company pays out a certain amount based on uh, certain criteria certain certain numbers that they come up with that say that this individual should get this amount of money uh, to uh, you know for that particular uh, injury because they're going to be dealing with that 30 percent deficit in their mobility for the rest of their life so my experience with insurance companies are is that they try very hard to get through this because it's to their advantage financially and to the clients financially to get the claim closed as quickly as possible so they're not going to try to make this linger they're not going to try to deny the claim if there isn't a just cause rarely do I see a, a claim denied I've had several denied claims for a variety of reasons but in most cases claims are accepted and uh, treatment is provided so the evil empires of these major insurance companies I don't I don't believe that's the case they have a reputation to keep they have a responsibility to make sure that they do a, a job that they're paid to do and I don't believe that most of these insurance companies are trying to save all the money for themselves because there's some big fat guy with a cigar in his mouth in the main corner office with the big windows overlooking the city you know rolling around uh, in a giant pile of cash or lighting a cigar with a, a you know with a with a pile of hundred dollar bills that's kind of what when I when I read this they they sort of put the insurance companies in such a light that they're they're always evil and they're always trying to take advantage oh, and they're always yeah. trying to be fraudulent I know that's not the case that's not what they said but when you read between the lines it seems like there was a little more push towards yeah. that than there was towards the, the insurance company that's really trying to not help. that article specifically necessarily but like in in general it's really easy to pick sides because I know people out, outside of work personally that have you know they've they've gotten uh, injured at work or whatever and they've they've uh, you know they feel like they're getting the getting the the third degree or how, I don't know what the they, they feel like they're getting really really scrutinized for something that they feel is a, a legitimate injury and, and don't feel it's fair and well and and yeah and I think that that's that's a good point that you bring up and there's something it's that, easy in that person's shoes to say you know the evil insurance who company. cares if, if they pay my 
x x amount of you know a couple thousand dollar medical bill that's that's nothing to them but it's you know it, it's not a it's not a uh evil you know mr burns from the simpsons character you know taking joy in the in the plight of others it's you know it's a it's a company and you know they they don't make money by paying everything out they they have to have some checks in place especially when not not everybody but some people are certainly trying to trying to take advantage of the system in place you know and i want to make a point of clarification when i say i and i investigated all of those claims what we call it is interviewing uh, i learned that very early on from somebody who gave me a sage bit of advice on saying don't investigate don't say you're calling to investigate call because you're doing the interview and my job is to interview after the incident has taken place and the first report of injury has been submitted and to ask you know what happened how are you feeling you know can you walk me through what what occurred to cause this incident so we don't come at it like uh, like uh, a dark room with one single lamp pointed in this person's and, face and they're we're assuming that they're completely guilty and, yeah. and that's and that's, that's not, and, and that's simply not the fact. In most cases, I'm assuming that this injury really did occur. After the interview process is when the red flags start to to kick in. They could kick in if the person, you know, exactly, exactly. Them. But in most cases, what we do, uh, our our part of our job is to uh, provide those interviews, to provide a narrative to the insurance company along with the report when it's being submitted to say that you know because they ask the question when you when you submit these uh, do you have a reason to question the claim and there's a couple reasons to question did it happen even or did it happen here and that's one of the bigger things by the way and, and I don't mean to get off track here but one of the issues that uh, we do when we interview is we ask questions like you know what do you do when you're not working uh, and if you find out that the uh, individual with a rotator cuff happens to be a women's softball league champion you start to wonder you know she doesn't do a job where she should injure her rotator cuff that's a red flag so we start to ask questions we ask more questions and in a case like that a person's going to start to feel like they're being investigated and there's a good reason for that because we are investigating it it's questionable at that point then then the issue comes up of you know it the, where we're at to this point is because yeah if you're injured at work that that should be something that's taken care of and a hundred years ago the corporations didn't have they they should have but did not take responsibility for those types of issues now per regulation they're required to to take responsibility for those things and there's there doesn't seem to be in some cases you where where does where is that line drawn at what point what i'm asking is where is that line drawn for the the business the employer between their responsibility and one's own personal responsibility for for you know like you said if you have a rotator cuff injury and you happen to be you know moonlighting as uh, as an arm wrestler <laughs> and and you and you have a poor uh, arm wrestling record and you're 20 years in you know 
should should a company be responsible for that and it you know and unfortunately most state laws they will be somewhat responsible so say say that person has torn their rotator cuff as a result of being a professional arm wrestler and not doing very well at it and having that particular arm torn out of its socket more than once at work in many states uh, in most states in fact and I've worked in approximately half of the states I've done work in um, they are picking up a bucket of five pounds of something or other as part of their job and all of a sudden they you know fall down in extreme pain grasping their right shoulder going oh my gosh I I can't believe it and it's torn unfortunately at least part of that uh, claim is it going to be paid as a result not because of a prior injury but because of the fact that the laws state that that injury was exacerbated as a result of that and it comes back to employer employee response or employer responsibility and that is to make sure that the employees that they hire uh, don't have these injuries so that if they end up doing jobs where they could exacerbate that injury uh, then uh, they're, they're on the hook for it and unfortunately when you live in a state where what are we under three percent unemployment in in, South, in Sioux Falls just alone that means you hire anybody you can get your hands on and so you will hire that person that has that prior back injury you may not even ask about that injury or that rotator cuff injury you're going to take that employee and then if they do injure themselves or re-injure themselves you're going to end up paying part of the cost of that if not all of it right and that's that illustrates a point you know when when kind of one-sided articles or when when discourse is taking place and and people are kind of taking sides or whatever else they would you say you know i'm asking you because because of your vast much more vast experience the employee is for the most part given the benefit of the doubt would you say so i'd say in most cases yes i'd say in 99 percent of the cases uh that employees are given the benefit of the doubt um but um yeah it's it's and one of those and that's it, it kind of goes against i think i think uh, an important an important thing with with this and you know from my, I think about you know my own experiences and I, I don't have a, a huge background in in this uh, in workers comp specifically or anything like that but I just think about from from the military there's a law in place a federal law that as a service member you for for any reason even if it would be perfectly legitimate in any other circle as a service member you are not allowed to sue the military or, or the federal government and for the most part that's that's a very good thing to have in place because you can't you know the military is a different is a different beast than anything else that that you would really encounter and there's it's the same thing same reason why a lot of things are the way they are in the military. However, there have been some some really specific and and unjust instances where maybe somebody should have been allowed to take legal action for for repercussions 
to in in the military but weren't able to because of that federal law and that's where it gets very very sticky because you know like we talked about you know there there are, are certainly some there have there have been instances in the United States where it has been perfectly just for someone to sue an insurance company to try to make things right uh, undoubtedly many 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 times there have been completely on you know frivolous lawsuits brought for the exact reason that we talked about that the person you know you can take you can take 25 shots at a basketball hoop and if you make one shot then that's you know that's that's a good chunk of money for you right there and for for you know we talked about the interests I've kind of I'm trying to remain sort of objective here but you know we've talked about kind of the interests of the insurance companies for attorneys they have their own interests and especially like personal injury attorneys you know there's there's very and not they're very reputable a lot in a lot of cases but, but they have a certain interest in this as well when you have a personal injury claim correct me if I'm wrong you as a personal injury attorney you get paid a percentage of the payout to your client oh yeah you don't for if, if you go into an attorney's office and you say I want I, I'd like to you know write out my will my will and testament or whatever or my do it estate planning or whatever when you walk in the door for that appointment they bill you by the hour and you know what whatever happens however many hours they put in hey here's your bill for X amount of hours worked for a personal injury case, in a lot of situations, you get paid out. You get paid out uh, a percentage of whatever your client's settlement or or uh, result of their case is. Right. And so that that shouldn't be overlooked either when when you're looking at the sides of this issue and see that there's a there's a certain interest for personal injury attorneys as well. So, so much so, so that, that if you were to do a search. And uh, and I know you were doing one either yeah, earlier today or I have yesterday. A, I have a video up. I don't know if I'll play it or not. But yeah, it might be one that uh, I don't know if we want to actually put them, give them any more attention than they already get. But what we have found, and I have seen this happen, is uh, personal injury attorneys sometimes, and I, I know there are good ones, but there are also ones that their motivation is to get as much money as possible. And the same applies to just about every other industry. So it's not just personal injury attorneys it's private detectives it's uh, estate attorneys it's insurance companies it's uh, businesses whatever the case is so nobody's immune to the fact that there are certain times where motivations are not pure but when you see a personal injury attorney actually put on their website how to coach an injured worker how to make sure or an injured person in general how to make sure that they can avoid the detection of a private detective, how they can talk to their doctor appropriately, how they can, you know, making sure that the narrative is built in such a way that it's controlled and works best for their case. Right. And it doesn't have to be true. They just have to do these certain things. Well, they don't have to make it true either. In the video that I watched, it was uh, like, I don't, like you said, I don't think we'll play it, but it was a, uh, workers comp attorney in the United States and and she basically explained that and she wasn't she wasn't uh, 
you know, rubbing her hands together and saying, <laughs> here's how you get your money out of those dirty there rotten... There wasn't flames behind her. Dirty rotten like cheats. No, yeah. she, was, she was saying, the people that come into my office are injured and insurance companies are trying to keep money from them and she's morally justifying, you know, why why the the video is up there basically and why someone would need to know this here and then here's how to detect a, a private investigator you know how how awful to not take your word for it that you're injured and that they would hire a private detective uh we we cost a lot of money people just like they don't want to pay out uh an insurance company doesn't want to pay out a claim to somebody who isn't really injured they they're they don't want to pay uh, they're not paying private investigators to follow every single claim i that, wish that that would be that be that would be rad yeah. however uh, i would be uh, yeah i'd be driving a different vehicle right now i'll say yeah, that yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> and uh, i would too you would, uh, by the way surveillance vehicles are not Lexuses, BMWs, Mercedes-Benz, maybe an old Cadillac. Man, do you know how many, uh, you know, I would, no one would ever, I, I would never get burnt, well, I might get burned from being noticed, but I would never, you know, when, when you get caught at a red light or, you know, somebody gets a little bit, fun. if I had a BMW M5, you know, that, that would never happen. Yeah, uh, people <laughs> know to just look away. I'd because... have some more speeding tickets. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, no, they, they, we don't get paid for nothing. You know, people, there's a, there's a uh, like you were talking about earlier with red flags, we're not getting hired for every single case. There's some definite red flags, you know, maybe, it's multiple other people uh, that are acquaintances of them have also had had uh, work comp claims. Uh, maybe it's they reported the injury days or weeks after this injury supposedly happened. That's a little weird. Uh, well, and in some states, I mean, you can you can get away with it where you can you can say it a month or two later. I was injured back in July. I don't remember what happened. Uh, to cause it, I don't remember the time, I don't remember the exact date, and yet it can still be accepted as a claim in some states. South Dakota is different. South Dakota has a time limit. I can't remember the exact time limit, but I think it's three days. If you don't report it in those three days, the claim can be denied. South Dakota has some very common sense laws. Um, some states, on the other hand, have some nightmarishly ridiculous laws that and I, again we talked about the fact that there's a reason that uh, people you know that, that there was the design and the development of things like OSHA and workers comp and uh, you know disability insurance there's a reason for that because for many years people that were in positions of power did not care enough for their employees to actually care for them in the event that they were injured the pendulum in some states, however, has swung so much so that it's so employee-friendly that the employer is up against it in every way, shape, or form. No matter how legitimate um, their concerns or the evidence that's placed in front of them um, and saying, this, is not, this did not happen here, we have evidence that it happened here, we have a private investigator that found out they were doing this many times. In certain states, it doesn't matter. They don't care. It's still going to go through. It's still going to become a, a claim that is going to be accepted and paid for by the insurance company.
doesn't matter. matter. Yeah. The, and that's it, states have a lot of ability to set set those and you states have different ways of they they either do the insurance through a private company or they do the you know some states do their own insurance you know there's a lot of leeway that that states have and you know it's 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 maybe no surprise that states that states that are really pro worker are are more liberal in in most other issues in the politicians that they hire and the backgrounds of them or whatever else those tend to be well and a good example of that go to go to detroit michigan well i actually don't if you can help it and i apologize in advance if we have any one of our few listeners that actually is in uh detroit um yeah, we're in the hood here. You the can, ambulance so. <laughs> yeah, we're in the hood. We're, we don't have the best office here, you know. We, you know, we're we're still a young agency, so we're not in the the the. Actually, it it happens once in a while. We're actually in a quite a lovely office in a lovely office building, run by Wait, some. Is that a personal injury attorney following that ambulance? Oh, oh, no, no, no sorry. <laughs> sorry, that was cheap. That was cheap. I shouldn't have said that. Uh, <laughs> You were saying <laughs> nice, nice. I, I don't even remember, but okay, yes. Uh, go to Detroit uh, and drive down one of the main drags. Um, listen to Eminem while you do it, you're because legally, you have to. you're legally supposed to listen to Eminem while you're driving an American-made car uh, that's still being made in in Michigan. And while you're doing that, listening to Eminem, uh, look at the billboards. Look at how many billboards are there that have personal injury attorneys on them. It's astounding how many. It's, it's hard not to notice them. And um, they are some of these, well, I'm going to censor myself right now, but they infuriate me because of the fact that you know exactly what they're doing, but they're in a very uh, labor-heavy state, labor-union-heavy state, and they, they work that system. They work it well, and they and they're making money. They're probably the only ones making money in uh, Detroit, but it's it's extraordinary to see. I mean, it, it it's almost absurd to see it, and I doubt that Detroit is the only town that does that. No, yeah, they if if you have the ability and it's not, you you, you try not to judge people or. You know, you have the opportunity to, to make money. The, the legal field is something that's very flooded. And, and uh, you know, I guess if, if you have justification for it or just like the, the gal in the, in the YouTube video that I looked up, you know, she's, she's not there. They're, you don't just decide, like, I'm going to go out and, and try to be the worst person possible. You, there's... We live in a world where there's a lot of bigger systems in place, and you can kind of justify or or find find well, your road. And and that that wouldn't work in South Dakota because you know the the fact that this bill that kind of started the conversation was proposed. It it was not passed. It was a six to one vote against it. So, that it, you know, it didn't pass. But the fact that it was even brought up, it kind of shows 
you know, South Dakota, a place like South Dakota versus a, a California or a, a Michigan. Yeah, and, and California and Florida, for instance, have the highest rate of, of uh, workers' comp fraud, or at least it used to. That, that uh, used to be the data that uh, I, I learned years ago. Because so, they can. Because they can. Be the opportunities there. And so, you know, they they can. And this their no, uh, equivalent bill is, is not going to go on the, it's not even going to be presented probably on the California uh, legislature. Arizona, you know, a super kind of more right-leaning state actually has, I believe they have where they can't sue. They have, they have this equivalent bill has, has been passed and, you know, for their system apparently or whatever, I don't, I don't know how it works exactly or if it's benefited the state or not, but basically they passed the bill with a trade-off being um, more leniency to what types of claims were, were paid out. Um, but then the, the employee, the injured employee has more leeway given to them for the types of injuries paid out or the circumstances of the injuries, and, but they give up their right to sue the insurance company. So I don't, you know, I don't know much. We I researched this a little bit, and we're talking about it because it's relevant to our state. I don't know uh, the the nuances and the the deep ins and outs of it, but um, that's that's kind of the spectrum, at least. Hmm. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about? Gosh, we covered a lot today. I think. Yeah. How how far into it are uh, we? Let me see. I'm I'm just looking at... Oh, we're at an hour. <laughs> oh, wow. This is our longest, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is our longest. The last one was, yeah, 38 minutes long. Told you we were fired up. So uh, if there's anybody still listening, uh, yeah. you have Thank extreme you. patience. You. Yeah. <laughs> you should... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there's, there's other podcasts. podcasts. Uh, you know, you introduced me. I mean, I listen to a podcast once in a while, but you know, you're a you're a uh, podcast aficionado. I would say. Yeah. And I think it's 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 your generation of people that that are into that a little more. Right. Your people. Um, my people like to read books. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and listen to Howard Stern and stuff. I like to read never books actually listen to Howard Stern a day in my life. What's that? I, I like to read books too. I just don't know if my people do. But. <laughs> actually, you've introduced me to some terrific books, including Tribe and and a few other ones that we might end up talking about in the future. But um, yeah, it's it's a topic that's passionate to both of us. It's a topic that's poignant because. I mean, it really does affect, uh, it affects what we do for a living, uh, but one of the reasons, again, that we do what we do is because we, we're, not, we're not trying to get everybody. We're not trying to go out there, we're not skulking around trying to catch everybody um, and hoping they do something that goes against their work restrictions. What we are trying to do is gather truth, and that is ultimately our objective as, a, as an investigative agency, and in fact, um, um, you were the one that came up with the, uh, the motto for our, uh, our logo. I mean, our, we, we actually have a company motto. We don't use it a lot, but we have one. Right, yeah. Uh, you're cueing me. I am. <laughs> In your special broadcasting way that I should say it. And our motto is uh, because we have to have a Latin phrase because... You were a Marine. Yeah. And, and I was a pretentious Latin student. Well, all... Uh, all Cool guy organizations have to have a Latin phrase, so that's we came up with Veritas Vincit or Veritas Vincit. Yeah, uh, because I don't know, I'm not great at pronouncing Latin. 
But Veritas Vincent sounds much better than Veritas Vincent. It sounds weird when you say it that way. You sound like a, a strange, uh, I don't know, European person. <laughs> like if you if you say it to me that way, I want you to be wearing like a. a uh, spandex like ski suit and we're about to hit the slopes <laughs> anyway it veritas vincent means uh truth conquers and so yeah that's that's our uh that's our motto and yeah that's exactly exactly what we want to do is is provide that uh provide that service and yeah i think it's uh I, hopefully hopefully over the course, you know, if you are still listening, hopefully we didn't say anything super offensive to anyone. Uh, Except for me. I'm sorry the about the ambulance. <laughs> that was pretty good, though. Well, that's you the thing. Any, ambi- or any, uh, any personal injury attorney that wouldn't find that funny, you know, at least to some degree. Probably a bit stuck up. Feel free to, uh, you know. Send us letters. Yeah. Postcards. Make private investigator. I'll I'll bounce it out with a private investigator stereotype, and that's uh, you know private investigators because of the I don't know use the word noir noir a lot film noir and people if you look at private investigators websites there's a lot of super corny (laughs) pictures. Oh, you know we just just came up with another podcast (laughs) idea. Uh, My my favorite favorite one. one. Is uh, the, the one where the guy wearing the leather trench coat and the fedora? If you're, if you're a private investigator listening and you have a super corny picture, like I, yeah, take, take it off your website yeah. now. It's it's okay. It's okay. Like, no, no, no. It's not okay. Well, yeah, it's do okay. do your thing, but you look silly. <laughs> <laughs> but the guy's pointing, you know, in some direction, and then there's a younger, more pretty. Uh, blonde girl private investigator with a pair of binoculars looking where they're pointing. Well, we use binoculars too, but we don't need two people. One person doesn't have to point and the other one use the binoculars. Yeah, and when you're doing surveillance, uh, you want to, you know, you already look a little weird just by nature of where you are and and just being you. Uh, You want to avoid looking you want to try to not look as creepy as possible and wearing wearing a trench coat with the collar up makes you look like you you may be uh, some sort of predator <laughs> that's not going to help you yeah. yeah and the thing is is that sometimes we do have windowless vans and so you know you <laughs> you you can't add those combination of things people are going to jump to the wrong conclusions that's really you know it's really tough to explain you know sometimes you might be you might have the the local law enforcement stop by and figure out what you're doing cuz maybe somebody called in hey there's a suspicious person it's a little easier to explain when you you're just like normal then versus in a windowless van with a trench coat <laughs> and a fedora. That's going to take you a little longer to explain away, probably. Yeah. So yeah. feel free to send us uh, or make fun of us for any of those stereotypes uh, if you'd like. And in fact, if they've listened this long, I'll be just thrilled if we get any sort of insults or, or uh, you know, made fun of in any way, shape, or form because. Uh, this is pretty cool that we've actually reached the one hour point. There's there's other podcasts that do hour, two hour, three hour podcasts, yeah. right? Yeah, they have they have like super uh, interesting guests. <laughs> they they sometimes use uh, drugs and alcohol on their podcasts, which I don't think I'd like to do necessarily. Let's let's avoid that if we can. <laughs> Some of us have to take uh, drug tests and don't want to do any of that. But uh, and then there's 
yeah, it's it's different. Oh, you know, hopefully, hopefully, it's been somewhat enlightening anyway, and hopefully, we've uh, kind of presented both sides or shed some light on both sides of the argument. And uh, yeah, did you have anything else that you wanted to talk about? I'm good. Closing? I'm good. Well, cool. Again, if you uh, listen this long, thanks very much, and hopefully, uh, we'll be back again uh, next time.